And now if you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to turn to Paul's letter to the Colossians. As we continue to look at Paul's letter to the Colossians in our evening times together, our New Testament book, we have reached chapter 2 of this letter. We're going to begin now looking at the way that Paul is building up the church and teaching the church. We've seen in chapter 1 how he has described the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ and described in very positive terms the doctrine that they are to believe. And now we're going to begin to start seeing in chapter 2 and yet even more in chapter 3 Paul's uh, negative examples, warnings against false teaching that will harm them. And so this evening we begin by looking at the first five verses of chapter 2. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. The word of the Lord is completely authoritative. And the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. Chapter 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. And for those at Laodicea. And for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts might be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Thus far the reading of God's Word. Let's pray for His blessing upon it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that You would use this Your Word, even as You have intended, O Lord, to build us up in the faith, to point us to the Lord Jesus Christ, to encourage us to love one another. This we ask. In the name of Christ Jesus, amen. Well, we see here now Paul dealing with how the church is built up and how the church is built in knowledge. And if we think about knowledge, we sort of break them down into two categories oftentimes, don't we? We break it down into book learning and street smarts, or practical learning. You know, it's one thing to be able to do theoretical physics. It's another thing to know how to rebuild an engine, or to know how to manage the finances of the home. And oftentimes, I think we separate these things out in too clear a divide. Because, you see, what Paul is showing us here is that we need to grow in our knowledge of the Scriptures and of the Lord Jesus Christ, but there is a purpose for this. This kind of knowledge is very practical. What we are to know is to be marked by a building up of the community of the church. We do not just gain knowledge of the Bible as individuals. There is a sense in which we gain this knowledge corporately. Not that we gather together and enter into some form of game show or contest and work as a team, but the way in which we learn is practiced 
among ourselves, building up the community of the church. And so our growing in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ cannot be separated at any time from love. And so this evening, what I'd like us to see briefly are three things about how love affects us being built up and growing in knowledge. The first is we see that the growth of a church, the stability of a church, begins in love. The second thing we see is that it grows in love. And the third thing we see is that its end or its end is love. Beginning in love, growing in love, and ending in love. Let's see what we mean here as we look together at Colossians chapter 2. The first thing we see is that the growth of the church as a community begins in love. And we see this in Paul, in each other, and preeminently in the Lord Jesus Christ. We see here Paul begins by describing for us his work of love in building up the church. He says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. Now, if we look again here at this very first word, for, this is one of these marker words. It's like therefore. And you know what we do with the therefore, right? We look back and we see what the therefore is there for. It's the same thing with four here. Paul is explaining what he has just said as he has talked about his sufferings and he has talked about his stewardship and his ministry and his proclamation of the gospel. And he says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. These things are so important to me. I want you to know with what earnestness I have been at work for you. Now, This is not easy for Paul to do. Let's start with the very obvious. Paul is a hard worker. He goes from town to town, city to city. He studies, he teaches, he works to support himself so that others do not have to. He travels, he gives advice, he preaches, he plants. Paul is a very hard worker. But we need to also remember the context of Paul's struggle and work here specifically. Paul is writing to the Colossians because he cannot come to them because he is in prison. So here we have Paul, the one who is suffering, the one who is in jail, writing a letter to the Colossians, not saying, would you pity me? Would you pray for me? Would you help me? But saying, I long to work even harder for you. He says, you need to know how great a struggle I have for you. Now, you may not catch it from first glance in the English. But what is behind this here is more than just long hours and sleepless nights. There is a very real sense in that Paul's work is a labor of love emotionally as well. He is invested in this church. When he says he struggles... The word is a word that you know well. He says, I agonize. I'm in agony here. And you can almost hear Paul's voice. I wish I could come to you. I wish these bars would move. I wish I were in prison. Not so my life would be easier, but so that I could be with you and build you up and counsel you and teach you and encourage you. It's a very emotionally difficult time for Paul. 
And this work of love is also not easy because there are challenges to overcome. Paul knows that in Colossae, and I dare say in Katie, Satan is at work. Any place where God is at work, Satan is trying to rip up plants, to salt ground, to sow discord, to see the church of Jesus Christ fail. And Paul knows this. He has experienced this. And this is one of the main reasons for this letter to the Colossians. Because there are many, many false teachers here saying that Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. That there's a higher level of belief that you can have. That Jesus is okay, but you need more. And you see, Paul knows that Satan is at work trying to undo all that the Lord has done. And that infections, just like in a body, can spread in a body of the church. You wonder why he writes to those at Colossae and those at Laodicea and all who have not seen him in this area? It's because Paul knows if the church at Colossae gets sick, the church at Laodicea will get sick and vice versa. He knows that as much as we try and pretend this isn't the case, the church is connected. And false teaching and false practice and a lack of love can affect a large swath of the church. So Paul knows that there is a great challenge to overcome here in the work of the enemy. But the work that God is doing here is begun in the love that Paul has for God's people. It also begins in the love that God's people have for each other. This passage reminds us that the church is more than just a seminary. It is more than just a preaching station. It is more than just a club or a place of fellowship. The church is a place where people share their lives together, where they learn together, pray together, encourage one another, suffer for one another. And this is what Paul is reminding them of. He says, it's horrible that I have not seen you face to face. The implication here is you should take advantage of that face to face fellowship that you have every opportunity that you get. That you should be bound together in the love that God gives to you. And he uses an interesting turn of phrase here in verse 2. He says that, His hope is that they would be knit together in love. And what he's saying here is, is that what brings us together and what binds us together is love. And we are almost, as it were, fused together as one body. We cannot be separated. And Paul says, if the work of God is going to bear fruit in your midst, it's not just going to be because of my love for you, It's going to be because of your love for each other. But of course, the love of Paul and the love of the church can only have any meaning if they are founded in the love of Jesus Christ. Because you see, Paul wants them to be encouraged to be knit together in love. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, what is this love that is knitting them together? On one hand... I think it is proper to say that it is the love they have for one another. But what binds the church together? Is it just people who like each other? The world is full of churches where people can't stand each other. 
The world is also full of places where people pat each other on the back and encourage one another, and they're not a church. What makes a church a church? Is it its worship? Is it its music? Is it its ministry in the community? Is it the hobbies or likes or preferences of the people? No, what makes a church a church is that Jesus Christ is found there. That His love, that He has showered upon sinners, redeemed from death by the work of Jesus Christ, that is the one thing that every Christian has in common, that they are the objects of Jesus' love. That is how we are knit together. And so on one hand, it does not matter about our differences at all. Where we live, how we work, how large our family is, what our preferences are, what football teams we like, what restaurants we eat at. What matters is, are we in Christ? And if we are in Christ, then we are knit together. The church begins in love. But the church also grows in love. And Paul gets at this when he describes the result or the purpose of his labor. He says, I want you to know how great a struggle I've had for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have seen me face to face. Now here's a key word at the beginning of verse 2. That. I had all this struggle for the purpose that. For this reason. There is a reason for Paul's struggle. And the reason for Paul's struggle is to encourage the people of God. He says, I have struggled that your hearts may be encouraged. You see, Paul wants us to be lifted up by love. Because love brings encouragement, doesn't it? The word here for encouragement is a word that you know well. It's the same word that is used to describe the Holy Spirit, as he is called, the comforter. Love comforts. We see this very obviously every day. All you have to do is watch a crying child. As that child is placed in his mother's arms, and you hear the soothing voice, and the pat of the head, Everything instantly becomes all right. Take the child away from the mother and everything instantly becomes a big mess. You see, even at that young of an age, we realize that love comforts us. It guides us. It builds us up. And Paul describes that this happens at the very core of our being. He says that their hearts may be encouraged. Now, we need to remember that when the Bible speaks of the heart, that it is not speaking of an organ with ventricles that pumps blood, right? It is the seat of our very being. Paul says in Romans 10, he says, with the heart one believes. Our Lord Jesus Christ says, it is out of the heart that the mouth speaks. And of course, there is the great commandment that says we are to love the Lord with our what? Whole heart. You see, what God is saying here through Paul is that the labor of love is so that we might be encouraged, comforted, and built up in our whole being. The second thing that causes growth in love is assurance. 
You see it in the second phrase of verse 2. Being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding. Now that's a mouthful, isn't it? All the riches of full assurance of understanding. What does Paul mean by this? Paul is saying that part of what is the building up character of love is that it gives us a certainty of our relationship with God. We have an understanding of who God is and who we are and how we relate to Him and we gain an assurance from the Lord in the midst of this. And Paul trips over himself trying to describe this in a very full way. He says that the assurance is full and it is rich and full. And the word here for full is actually a cognate. It is the same kind of word as riches. So it's a wealthy riches of assurance that comes from understanding. If you long to have assurance that you are the Lord's and the Lord is yours, the way to get that assurance is through encouragement from love. It is to grow in your love toward the Lord and toward others. This is a very practical benefit of knowledge. Paul says you should know these things so that you might have assurance. You might strive for a certainty to know that you are the Lord's. And this knowledge is very specific because it is described as an understanding and knowledge of God's mystery. Now, if we leave it there, that sounds very difficult, doesn't it? Very dark. Almost like you might get a comment from someone in some kung fu movie that says something vague and mysterious and you wonder what it means. But that's not the way of the Scriptures. Because you see, Paul very quickly makes it very concrete. He says, you want to know what God's mystery is? It's Jesus. He doesn't leave us hanging. He doesn't leave us wondering. He makes it very concrete. He says, the knowledge of God's mystery is Jesus Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There is no secret of God's knowledge. It is hidden, but it is not a secret knowledge only obtained by a few. You see, the reason it is hidden is as Calvin describes for us, that the knowledge of Jesus Christ is not one that is glittering or glamorous. It gains its expression in the cross. It is hidden from plain sight. It is hidden from glory. But it is found in Jesus Christ. Well, we see that the church here begins in love and it grows in love. And finally, we see that it also ends in love. Paul says, beginning in verse 4, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Paul does something here that I fear at times we are reluctant to do as a church of Jesus Christ. Paul is not afraid to show love. And you say, well, what do you mean? Who's afraid to show love? Does that mean Paul is not an emotional kind of a guy? You just said earlier he had emotions when he was talking about the Colossians. No, I don't mean afraid to show his feelings. I mean, Paul is not afraid to show that part of love that is critical. 
that warnings are necessary. Paul is not afraid to say hard things that are necessary for the good being of the Colossians and their faith. He's going to say clearly what he had implied earlier, explicitly, that there are those who would seek to draw them away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, you need not listen to these plausible arguments. He said, these are persuasive sayings, but they're false. We might consider them fast talk or smooth talk. They might be emotional arguments. They might be philosophical arguments, but what they have in common is that they are false and they seek to draw us away from Jesus Christ. We see this every day in our society and in our lives. Others who come alongside us and try and give us substitutes for Jesus. Who try and explain to us that our lives will only be fulfilled if we follow the latest fad. Paul says, don't listen to any of this. Tune out the noise. All that you need to know is found in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter where these arguments come from. Whether from PhDs, doctors, friends, what you need is Jesus. The second thing that we see from Paul is, that shows his love, is that he is not jealous of the progress that others have made. Paul is not worried about competition. This is again something we can learn in the church. Too often it seems that while on the one hand we say we are all equal at the foot of the cross, we are somehow then striving to make sure we're just a little bit better of a Christian than the other guy. We know just a couple of more Bible verses. We pray just a little bit longer. We have just a few more connections, a few more ministry opportunities. And anytime we hear good news from someone else, we have to kind of shake our head and say, oh, I guess we've got to get at it and do more. Paul's not afraid of that. He's not jealous. Look what he says. He says, for though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order. He encourages them in glowing terms with their progress. This word here, good order, is the way you would describe the way troops would stand at attention. Paul is like a general passing by and saying, this is God's army, ready for battle. They're shined, they're equipped, they're ready to go. He is encouraged by it, not threatened. Because you see, Paul's focus, as should be ours, is the kingdom, not his own glory. The final thing that we see here is that Paul has no regrets. He doesn't think that his suffering was wasted. He says, I am rejoicing to see your good order, rejoicing to see your firmness. It brings Paul great joy to see the benefits that his work has brought. This is kind of like what you don't see but goes on at a college or a high school graduation. Somewhere there's a dad sitting in the seats that worked overtime, that stayed up late. Somewhere there's a mom that helped with homework. Somewhere there were sacrifices made so that things could be done. But you see, when they're sitting there, they're not thinking, oh, it's, I'm so glad that I gave up that Saturday to help. Oh, I'm glad I earned that extra $1,000 so he could take that course. No. 
What they're saying is they're looking up and they're saying, what a wonderful thing it is that they've accomplished that. You see, the focus is on others. And that's where we need to be as the church of Jesus Christ, not worrying about how much we've sacrificed or how much it has cost us, but what benefit the Lord has brought to others as He works through us. You see, Jesus and His love makes all of this possible. Jesus Christ and His love brings the blessing to the church. Jesus Christ and His love makes us secure in our position in the church. This is the call that Paul gives, not just to the Colossians, but to us. That we are called to show love to one another, to build each other up, and to see the Lord at work in our midst. Let's pray.